Welcome to the Need to Know podcast from the Wilson Center, a podcast for policymakers available to everyone. Always informative, nonpartisan, and relevant, we go beyond the headlines to understand the trend lines in foreign policy. Welcome back to the Need to Know podcast, and today I have joining me Tom Kellerman, who is the head of cybersecurity strategy for VMware Incorporated. He's also uh, a Wilson Center Global Fellow. He's helped us out with uh, cybersecurity classes that we've done at the Wilson Center. And he's also, interestingly, recently appointed to the Cyber Investigations Advisory Board for the U.S. Secret Service. Tom, uh, we've we've talked before about some of the the challenges in cybersecurity, and every time I hear you talk, I want to burn my phone and completely become a luddite. So happy to have you back, but also a little anxious about this conversation. Well, this is all about digital village, you know, vigilance in today's world. You know, I think people need to be very conscientious in how they navigate cyberspace of 2020 and going into 21 because it's become dramatically more hostile. And I think we've seen this in the last few days in the headlines with a yet another cybersecurity hack, this one with the cybersecurity company FireEye, who they're the ones that you go to like when Sony gets hacked. They're supposed to be the ones cleaning this stuff up, and yet we find that they've been hacked, and the reports are that it's been turned over to the FBI's Russia specialists. So without saying who did it, we kind of have an idea who did it. Uh, what's going on and what does this mean for cybersecurity and those who are wa watching the watchers? Yeah, I mean, look, uh, everyone can be breached. And in the end of days, you know, success in cybersecurity is about decreasing dwell time and prohibiting the adversary from commandeering your network to attack your constituency. All right, well, let's let's uh, explain for those who don't know what does dwell time mean? Dwell, dwell time is you don't want them sitting on your network for too long so that they can move freely within the environment and then end up taking over the entire environment and then launching attacks from your environment. Imagine... The shift has gone from a burglary to a home invasion. You don't want the home invasion to occur during Christmas dinner. Um, and so that's exactly what needs to be prevented. Cybersecurity firms are in the crosshairs of Russia because of the great work um, over the past few years in combating and mitigating significant campaigns of cyber attack by the Russian government. Also, Russia is, is furious about the TrickBot takedown. You saw this with the visceral reaction of leveraging Ryuk ransomware against hospitals um, a couple of weeks ago where there was this widespread alert. Um, right now, they have a window of opportunity to act with impunity prior to the new administration coming into power, uh, at which point I do think that shared risk uh, will exist in cyberspace and that Cyber Command's gloves will be taken off. Tell us a little bit more about what was taken down, because let's not assume that everybody listening uh, know, follows the cyber news all the time. So they're, they're particularly incensed at w what we've done. In a unprecedented collaboration between um, CISA, Cyber Command, uh, Microsoft, and some other technology players, a, a massive botnet of compromised computers uh, that was distributing a lot of sophisticated pieces of malware, which was targeting state and local government infrastructure and systems, as well as systems associated with the election. Um, this was basically sinkholed or knocked off the internet. 
Um, and this was a massive piece of, of infrastructure that's being that was being used by the cyber militias of Russia for years. Cyber militia, just to be clear on that, that's when cyber criminals are paying homage to the regime and are directed by the intelligence agencies within the regime to target specific entities. Of which, of course, the United States government and places like FireEye would be would be one of them. Exactly. And then just look at, you know, the history of FireEye and, and Kevin Mandy and, you know, a lot of former FBI uh, special agents are over there. Um, the, the level of investigations, the level of sophistications of FireEye's work uh, is significant. And so as much as they have great defenses, um, they are a viable target. But the, the irony here is there's no proportionality when it comes to Russian uh, hacking activity, nor is there any construct of civilian versus um, government entities when you look at a target list. Um, it's a wide, wide open space. It's really kind of the Wild West. And, and we necessitate public policy from, from leaders on the Hill and elsewhere because uh, laissez-faire economics is not effective in today's day as it relates to cyber crime and cyber espionage. Well, I want to get to that, but I want to ask one more thing about FireEye because it, they appear to have made off with some offensive capabilities. But we heard this also about the NSA getting hacked and to hear their offensive capabilities are now being used all over the world. So at some point, do we end this arms race where it just seems like we have more and more escalation? Um, what ends this? Or does it just keep going until we find there's some kinetic action following a cyber act? Look, there is an arms race. Um, the dark web economy of scale is $6 trillion in size, which makes it larger than Silicon Valley and the state of California's economy, according to the World Economic Forum. The largest portion of that dark web economy of scale exists in the former Soviet bloc behind the former you know, Iron Curtain. Um, shadow brokers, when they stole the NSA and CIA's attack tools of Vault 7, they unleashed those attack tools against the world. Uh, NotPetya was an example of, of one of those attack tools, WannaCry. And then you're going to say to me, wait, WannaCry was launched by the North Koreans. Yes, the same country that buys their missiles and buys their submarines and buys their ships and buys their guns from Russia. Yes, exactly the same. So they want to create a fog of war uh, with a multiplicity of actors, a free fire zone in cyberspace. Um, and using our own weaponry against us is significant. Now, look. FireEye's capabilities were defensive capabilities meant to test the security of systems or to investigate phenomenon that occurs in systems. Yes, those things can be turned outward uh, and, and be made offensively, but most of us have seen those tools and we know how to stop those tools just because of we're in the nature of the industry we are in. Um, I think you know, FireEye is, is, is approaching the problem and is managing this crisis in the best way possible. I tip my hat to them and I hope that the U.S. government uh, begins to, to mitigate and suppress the activities by these threat actors in the dark web itself. And so that's, that's one of the purposes of the, of the Secret Service Cyber Investigative Advisory Board is that we, our mission is not only to modernize the Secret Service and their efforts to stop financial crime, but to also disrupt and dismantle um, vast segments of the dark web that are complicit in these types of activities. So what policies i think when when so many people look at this especially if you're a member of congress who has to vote on these sorts of things and and let's be honest i mean there's a lot of members of congress who are not as up on cybersecurity policy and understanding the nuts and bolts of this is just as you know they have their expertise and they're not all following this so 
how do you make someone understand the need and then the policies that need to be put in place to fix this? So from a macro perspective, all, all the good men and women who work on the Hill and, and all the politicians and Congress people and, and elected officials who are responsible for public policy realize that this is not a partisan issue. In fact, it's a patriotic imperative. Realize it's not just a national security issue, it's an economic security issue. And if you look at even the construct of the Commerce Clause, which governs everything, uh, this is applicable to that as well. Uh, we are inadequately defended as a nation. Um, when it comes to critical infrastructure security, when it comes to the capacity of the U.S. to deal with very visceral Cold War adversaries that are creating an insurgency in American cyberspace. Fact. We are also more and more digitally dependent than ever. And I think if it isn't prescient in your mind, I mean, think about the fact that we're all working from home, staring at a screen all day long. <laughs> and that there is no silver bullet. Encryption won't save you. That's mythology. It's important, but it's not going to save you from what's out there. And so with all that being said, I think there are some strategic opportunities for public policy, much of which are rooted in, in multilateralism and the strengthening of institutions and the strengthening of the authorities and empowering various government agencies to do their mission, to, to move forward holistically in their endeavors to suppress and disrupt this dark web economy of scale and to protect American critical infrastructure and the economy. I do think there's a massive opportunity for direct foreign investment into the U.S. economy. If we can prove to the world that we have the most secure critical infrastructure and we pay attention to cybersecurity uh, with the most singular lens. Well, what are your thoughts then when it, other countries think of it as critical infrastructure too and seem to also have policies that are directing this dark web activity, right? It's so Machiavellian. Uh, you have this Pax Mafiosa and this protection racket around the very best cyber criminals who are treated by, as national assets by typically our Cold War adversaries and then are used to act out as cyber militias as well as to conduct cyber espionage as well as to uh, offset economic sanctions. Look, there are some immediate near-term opportunities for strategic uh, public policy here. The Cyberspace Solarium Commission recommendations are, are awesome. Uh, I mean that, and, and they should be embraced. I know that many of them are in the Defense Authorization Act uh, that passed the House. I hope that act passes, but there are others that are not. Um, in addition to that, there are some very thoughtful recommendations that I have that I've been thinking about my 23 years in cybersecurity. Number one is we always focus on this three-legged stool of cybercrime. We focus on the hacking weaponry and the hacking phenomenon. We need to do a better job of understanding that there are these Bulletproof hosts or dark web forums where these ephemeral entities congregate to trade in goods and services that exist in the deep and dark web, and they must be disrupted and taken down through proactive policies through, let's just say, the FCC and through proactive action through international ISPs and carriers. Uh, in addition to that, the $6 trillion a year, according to the World Economic Forum here, um, that's being pumped into or is being stolen from the West and pumped into this dark web economy of scale. Much of that is being laundered through virtual currencies like Monero, like Gcash, like not Bitcoin in general, but specific Bitcoin exchanges that are being used in this fashion, like web money. Not all of these uh, virtual currencies, currencies or exchanges or alternative payment systems are complicit, but many of which are just turning a blind eye because they just don't care. 
And something must be done to improve forfeiture and any money laundering so that we can seize those assets and use those assets to fund critical infrastructure protection for cyber attacks, as well as maybe even do something like funding a tax break for businesses who invest more than 10% of their IT budgets in securing that environment. Because in the end, the, the nature of cyber threats has become much more pronounced. Destructive attacks are up 102%. Island hopping, where they take over your infrastructure to attack your constituency, is happening 55%. And according to our data, cyber attacks in general are up 600%. So we need help. <laughs> we need help. There is a second dark phase of this pandemic of COVID, and that is this digital pandemic of cybercrime and spying that is already going on, but that will be the focus of our attention once we become vaccinated. The number one goal of the US government is going to have to be, in fact, it's going to have to root out this insurgency that's been burrowing into our infrastructure for the past two years. The number two goal is gonna be, how are we gonna make sure that doesn't happen again? And how do we create shared risk with these adversaries on an international stage? My last two points, a cyber czar needs to be created again. Yes, I said it, because more coordination needs to be uh, leveraged between the various agencies and departments who have the authorities, who have the import to do, uh, do some damage uh, to the adversary in this regard but coordination is essential. We need to reestablish the position of the Assistant Secretary of State, uh, Chris Painter held, uh, to be an international coordinator on cyber policy. And we need to become much more active uh, with NATO and other partners in combating this new Cold War that is going on in American cyberspace. Something you said there was this insurgency that's burrowing into our infrastructure. What, explain a little bit more what you mean by that. Yeah, I mean, whether it's Vietnam or Raqqa, Syria, the, the nature in which trusted um, physical environments are used um, by non-state actor groups or transnational actor groups to attack civilians as well as the government, the same thing is happening in a virtual construct inside American cyberspace. So many of our adversaries, they don't just hack a target and then steal what they want. They hack, they burrow in, they move laterally between systems, they then use those systems to attack other systems. And most organizations, corporations, and government agencies aren't even aware that's happening unless they actually see something leave or something gets destroyed or ransomware clicks in or encrypts their data. But that doesn't happen most of the time. Just look at ransomware. Ransomware has evolved so much that ransomware as a service can be leveraged to anyone who doesn't know how to hack. For less than 5,000 bucks, you could shoot ransomware and launch ransomware at people. And most importantly, ransomware now is going after the backups first. We've all been told, hey, you don't wanna deal with ransomware, just back up your stuff, in case it happens. Well, guess what? They're targeting the backups first now. And then you're seeing these secondary extortion campaigns now where they are just dumping your data. After you've already paid, they're dumping your data. And in cases overseas, they're doing it specifically to the regulatory agencies so that you get a regulatory fine on top of that. So they can say, hey, I know you're gonna get a $20 million regulatory fine, so you pay me $10 million and I won't dump. <laughs> it's crazy. But they themselves have done so much reconnaissance and the level of information sharing that exists between these cybercrime cartels, and that's what they are, is so significant that we're really dealing with an adversary that understands our weaknesses more than we do, um, as, ex as exemplified by recent attacks. Yeah, it certainly seems that we, we, we're, we're fighting with a hand tied behind our back, uh, and we don't know. I think most people don't know, and it seems like this is not something that is talked about much on Capitol Hill or amongst policymakers. 
we don't have some of these positions that we used to have. Uh, they, they go unfilled. Uh, it's an interesting phenomenon, and, and it gets wrapped up in political problems, too, because I feel like the discussion we've had on disinformation over the last several years is another layer to all of this, right? You have all this disinformation overtly going on on Facebook, but then still underneath, even if you didn't have the disinformation, you still have all of this infiltration into infrastructure. And, and just think, I mean, like I said before, destructive attacks are spiking, 102% increase. What does that mean? What is a destructive attack? Well, when you destroy data or an infrastructure, you can destroy it, or you can change the integrity of it. So when you think about disinformation, um, beings, you know, psyops, right? <laughs> or information warfare, I guess. Um, the future is actually to become telepathic for these adversaries when they can actually right now corrupt the integrity of the data that you're relying on right now to make a decision. Whether that's the construct of just time, when they now manipulate timestamps and systems to manipulate, let's say, the value of money or to manipulate whether a defender can even see if someone came in at the wrong time to see if there was an anomaly. All the way through the construct of manipulating the integrity of sensitive documents, classified documents, strategies, um, tactics, um, logistical planning. Um, it's, it's quite freaky in terms of what can be accomplished. Disinformation to me is frankly boring. Um, what's more interesting to me and what's more concerning to me is the nature that integrity attacks are increasing and people always presume that because something is encrypted, they can stop integrity attacks. That's not true. What you need to know about encryption, and I say this to all of you who are still listening, that my God, there's always a key on that computer that allows you access to the encrypted document, format, file, whatever. If you can hack that computer, you can unlock the encryption. So don't tell me it's encrypted. Really send this document to me encrypted and then send me another email with the password. It's like, if somebody gets into our email, that's the same password. <laughs> the password is there. <laughs> yeah, you know, this is a really good point. I'd like to give some advice to everyone that's been listening to this saying, you know what, sky is falling. What can I do? I don't want to be targeted. Last thing I want is for my account to be successfully hacked and then my account attacks the senator or the congressperson's account. So right. here's what's up. Number one, you're all working from home. Your router has two networks. Practice digitally distancing, which what I mean is your work computer and your work phone should be relegated to one network. None of the smart devices, none of your family's devices need to be connected to that network that only your, your work device and your smart device that you use are connected to, number one. Number two, every Tuesday, Silicon Valley pushes out critical patches for systems, applications, operating systems, just like you do laundry once a week or someone does your laundry once a week, frankly, patch. See it as, you know, cyber laundry day. Patch everything. Patch every device you come in contact with. Make sure they are updated with the most recent patches to prevent those adversaries from burrowing in. And every device needs, you know, security, next-gen AV, something modern to protect it against behavioral anomalies that may occur on that device in real time. Um, that's very, very, very important. And then lastly, you know, set up two accounts on your computer, one that's for everything you implicitly do for work, and then one that is you know, not as sensitive. And the one that is for work, you want to actually disable privileged access. You don't wanna be a super user. You don't wanna be an administrator on that account because when that account is targeted by you being a super user and having the keys to every room in your house metaphorically, they can then move quickly and smoothly through your infrastructure and, and create a much a worse mess than ever before. Um, so, and then my last point is when you receive an email that has a link in it, 
just cut and paste that link and put it in the browser first to make sure it's actually where it's supposed to be going. Same thing if you receive an email that requests for you to download an attachment and it's, you're skeptical of it, uh, check the headers and you're gonna be like, I can't check the headers, Tom, that's ridiculous. Don't even start me on that. Well, you can actually, because when you type in headers, you'll, you'll see this thing called you know, reply to, right? You know what that is? But it has to be the same thing as return path. So just think of R squared. If the return path doesn't equal reply to, you're dealing with a fake or spoofed email that it's mostly means you're being targeted. Fascinating, and always appreciate the practical advice. And oh, one I, last point, I, I'd always forget this one. If your security software is find something on your device and cleans it, quarantines it, whatever it says it's doing to it, please remember that thing on your device stole all your passwords. They took all of them. So now as much as it stinks, you have to change every single one of them because whatever was on there sniffed and gathered everything. So assume passwords need to be changed. Even when your when your antivirus finds something, assume it's got it and know it. Yeah, you got to change the keys on your house. I mean, you know how it is. Well, that's a good bet. Yeah, if somebody gains access to your house using your key, the first thing you're going to do is call a locksmith and change all those locks. Yeah. Mm. All right. I'm afraid to ask this question, but I ask most of my guests. I always ask a on the horizon question. What do you think is out there? What's keeping you up at night? What is what is next? Maybe from what what Russia's planning on doing? What 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 do you think is the next shoe to drop? So from a geopolitical perspective, I do think that uh, there's going to be dramatic escalation of cyber warfare against NATO uh, NATO members uh, by Russia. Uh, beginning immediately, and it's already slowly beginning, but it will dramatically escalate during this window of time where they know they have the capacity to act um, between administrations in this transmission transition period. Um, I do see escalation in general and a balkanization occurring in cyberspace, which is why we have to become much more involved internationally as a nation. Uh, I'm very concerned about significant attacks against public clouds, cloud jacking, where public cloud environments are commandeered to attack their constituencies and push destructive malware against them. Um, this is a huge reason why uh, VMware, you know, acquired Carbon Black and why Carbon Black is now the security division of VMware. We are trying to uh, sustain digital transformation through security and you know, intrinsically have your infrastructure protect itself against these, these new attacks. And, and that's our focus as an organization. And we do appreciate our responsibility um, and our, you know, from the perspective of, of corporate citizenry uh, and corporate governance, that we have to make sure that our infrastructure protects itself. And I would behoove other technology vendors to do the same thing. Well, Tom, like I said, every time I, every time I talk to you, I feel like getting rid of everything that I have that's connected to the internet, which you know, maybe a good thing, but, uh, always appreciate the practical advice, um, and to look into the future too. I mean, as, as scary as it may be, we need to, we need to face it and we need to, to face it smartly. So that's what we're trying to do here on the podcast. So appreciate your, your insights into this. Uh, happy to help. Happy to help. There's a lot of opportunities for action here, both from public policy as well as self-defense. And I think people just need to begin to act. Every committee on the Hill should be talking about how cyber and cybersecurity relates to whatever their committee's mission and authorities are. Thank you, Tom. 